time for episode 329 of Monster Kid Radio, the podcast devoted to the classic and sometimes not so classic genre cinema of yesteryear. I am your writer, host, producer, Derek M. Cook. I want to welcome you to the show with the song An Eye for an Eye. It's from the surf band out of Omaha, Nebraska, the Anonymous Henchmen. You can find them at anonymoushenchmensurf.bandcamp.com or look them up on Facebook. And if you are in the Omaha area, they've got a show coming up on August 11th. They're part of the OEAA Summer Showcase. And then they're going to be at Olivers on August 17th in Omaha, appearing with Soul Tree and the Claudettes. So check them out and let them know that you heard about them here on Monster Kid Radio. This week on the show, we're going to talk about a movie that I wanted to talk about last week. So thanks for everybody for sticking around and being patient with me as I healed up from my hip injury. Still not 100%. Think it's going to be a while, but uh, I've gotten used to using a cane. Anyway, the movie this week, let's talk about The Land Unknown from 1957. It's a universal science fiction film. Sven Gulli showed it on his show a couple of weekends ago. I've got it on DVD here. It's available out there now, and as you're going to hear in the conversation that I have with Joe Iden from the Fandom Radio Podcast, it's actually available on Blu-ray over in Germany for some reason or other. Yeah, you heard right. Joe Iden from the Fandom Radio Podcast is joining me this week. He's been calling into the show, leaving incredible messages, participating in our feedback. Well, you know what? Let's get him on the show and have him participate in a round of the Classic Five, as well as a conversation about a movie. It was a good chat. Really enjoyed having him on the show. So we're going to do that. Got a few other things I want to talk about here on the show, but that's all going to happen right after this. senseless terror. Panic takes the place of planned evacuation, and whole cities are paralyzed by fear. The Air Force is standing by with an atom bomb. You can't drop an atom bomb on Chicago. from the Classic Horrors Club. And I'm Richard Chamberlain from kccinephile.com and monstermoviekid.wordpress.com. We'd like to invite you to attend the next monthly meeting of the Classic Horrors Club on the Phantom Podcast Network. We think you'll enjoy our show, but don't take our word for it. Let's ask some of our listeners what they think. Excuse me, sir. What did you say after listening to the Classic Horrors Club podcast? I'll never smile again. Wow, that's a little mean. How about you, sir? Would you recommend the Classic Horrors Club podcast? It would be very dangerous, not only for you, but for others. Well, we do talk about classic horror, from silent screen to Halloween and everything scary in between, but I don't think I'd call it dangerous. I think that's enough from our listeners. I've always said we have the, uh, best fans. 
why don't you give us a try yourselves? We meet once a month during the Classic Horse Club podcast on the Phantom Podcast Network, found at downrightcreepy.com or at classichorrors.club. Oh, wait, here's one more listener walking his pet. What do you think of the Classic Horrors Club podcast? There's the stink of hell on this train. Even the dog knows it. Let's prepare for a landing, right? Okay. In a 40G gravity atmosphere, strange thing happens to man's body and mind. Barry Sullivan and Norma Bengel take you into the most fantastic science fiction adventure ever filmed. Emergency! Emergency! Conditions desperate. Little chance of survival. Help us. Mark, look! What have you got? The galleot. Bert, get me a fix on this right now. Wes, Brad, controls. Planet of the Vampires. Harboring a form of life worse than death. Planet of the Bloodless. Creatures who take men's bodies, but attack like vampires. I'll tell you this, if there are any intelligent creatures on this planet, they're our enemies. In this outer space world, the living dead try to escape into life. Salas. No, just his body. And I'm just one of many beings on this planet. And we're fighting to survive. It's imperative that our race continue to exist. We arranged for several of you to kill each other so that we could take over your bodies. You are our last chance. No, never. We'll all of us give up our lives to save our own race. This is Count Vlad, but you may recognize me by my more familiar name, Count Dracula, and I'm here to offer you a friendly warning. Derek and his guests often get excited, and occasionally this results in revealing key plot points of the movies they're discussing. In your parlance, you might call these revelations spoilers. You know how the children of the night Ah, I mean monster kids can get sometimes. So consider yourself warned, and don't come begging to me to kill them for their transgressions afterward. I have more pressing issues to take care of, like that pesky Van Helsing. Listeners, he sends in regular feedback to Monster Kid Radio, and you can hear his voice on a regular basis on his own podcast, Fandom Radio Podcast. I'd like to welcome Joe Iden proper to Monster Kid Radio. 
Thank you so much. It's such a pleasure to be here. I'm excited to have you here, sir. I mean, you've been sending in messages for a long yeah. time. I appeared on your show way back in the day. I'm thrilled to have you back on over here. Yeah, it was a big deal to have you on the show. I really, we did an interview. I thought it came out really good. It's one of my favorite episodes. Hey, you made me sound good, man. I appreciate it. <laughs> And I hope I make you sound good on this show because, I, I, like I said, I'm thrilled to have you on here. I love having other podcasters on uh, and listeners. I mentioned it already. Fandom Radio Podcast. It's a Podbean show, right? Over at Podbean.com? It, it is, yeah. We'll make sure there's a link in the show notes and he's on iTunes and everything else, I believe. I think I'm on Stitcher, somebody told me, too. I don't oh. know much about Stitcher, but I think one of the guys I work with who listens uh, said I was on Stitcher. So I, know, I guess you could check it out there. Maybe I'm there, too. Right on. We'll check that out after you're done listening to this episode of MKR, where he and I are going to talk about a movie. But before we get to that movie, you know what we got to do here on Monster Kid Radio. You know we've got a deck of cards in my hand right now, right? I've been so looking forward to this. I play along with this every single episode. (laughs) It's fun, man. I love playing the Classic (laughs) Five. For any new listeners who don't know what the Classic Five is, I've got a deck of cards here. Can we give it a good shuffle? Don't know if you heard that or not, but I've got a deck of cards here. Each one of these cards has a yes or no, this or that style question on them, all about classic monster movies. There's no wrong or right answer. It's just a way for you listeners to get to know our guests a little bit more. Joe, are you ready to play the classic five? I am ready. All right, card number one. Here we go. Oh, God, this is one of the toughest cards in the deck. (laughs) Boris Karloff or Bela Lugosi? I got to go with Karloff. Uh, Yeah? Yeah, I think so. I think he was... As much as I love Lugosi, I love both of them, but they were both very versatile. You know what I mean? But I always thought Karloff just a little bit more because I love him in The Black Cat. And actually, a lot of people might not know this. I don't know. Maybe they do. But he also played a really good character in the original Scarface with Paul Muni. And I I always thought he – I think he played like a rival um, mob boss or something. I'm pretty sure it was Scarface with Paul Muni. If I'm wrong, I'm sure your listeners will tell us. But I always thought he had just an edge more Lugosi. But Lugosi, I don't know. Did he do more work? I don't know. But he was very versatile too. But there was just something about Karloff I think might have been the look. I don't know. Because he was my first exposure to the monsters was Karloff. So I got to go with Karloff. Hey, well, like I said, man, no right or wrong answers. Yeah. I, I typically go the other way, but yeah, yeah, just, yeah what, whatever, Joe. Yeah. Whatever. No. <laughs> <laughs> All right, card number two. What is your go-to film to introduce someone to classic monster movies? I'd have to say Bride of Frankenstein. You know, I get that one a lot. I think it's Bride of Frankenstein. I, I, once they see that, that's going to springboard them because there's a whole world of universal monsters in there. And, and I think that's a really good start. I think that's one of those rare films where the sequel is actually a little bit better than the original. So I'd have to say Bride of Frankenstein. I get that too. I get that too yeah. a lot on the, on the show. What, and a real close second might be The Wolfman. You know what I mean? Oh, a real okay. close second might be The Wolfman because that's another favorite of mine too. You know, even if people don't pick The Bride of Frankenstein when I do that card, uh, almost always it's a universal. Yeah. Um, almost always. Because I think universal really kind of embodies that yeah. classic. Yeah. You know, it fits that box just or that, that, that slot just fine. And plus it's just a great movie. You know, it's just a, yeah. It's one of the best yeah. movies to come out of Universal at that time. Yep. Agreed. All right. Card number three. Oh, horror hosts. You like them to interact with the movie or just shut up and show the movie? I like them to shut up and show the movie, but I also like the spots in between, like the commercials and stuff like that, which okay. I'm a big fan of Sven So he comes on, he'll come on and talk. It gets a little corny sometimes, Sven but I, for the most part, I like when they talk about the movie before a commercial break or right after a commercial break. I don't like them talking during it. If I want that, I'll watch Mystery Science Theater or Rift Tracks or something, you know? I want them to tell me stuff that I can look out for while I'm watching the movie. 
So do you consider what MST3K does not horror hosting? I mean, I've heard both sides of it. I do and I don't because they don't just do horror movies. I do and I don't. I, I think it's just like I've said before. We talked about this once and I mentioned it. It's just a different way to enjoy the movies. You know what I mean? I think it is anyway. So I don't really consider them hosts. That's like it's pretty much a genre unto itself. That's the way I look at it. You know, I don't really consider them horror hosts. Okay. No, fair enough. I Yeah, I, I don't know. I always see, I'm like I said, both sides of the argument. And with MST3K back, you know, it, it's starting to come back up into the conversation here on the yeah. show and, you know, online and that sort of thing. Um, it brought me a lot of movies that I went and lo- yeah. searched for without watching the their version of it. Some of them are not science fiction or horror. In fact, one of my favorite episodes of Mystery Science Theater is a film called I Accuse My Parents. I think it's absolutely hysterical. And it's just a cautionary tale. <laughs> I think it's absolutely hysterical. But it's brought me a lot of movies. So Mystery Science Theater, like Rift Track, stuff like that, that's all within its own kind of genre. And and then, I mean, yes, they're hosts, but their shtick is part of the show. Okay. That's why I look at it anyway. So card number four. So we've seen Mechagodzilla and Mechanicong. What other giant monster should have had a robotic counterpart? Rodan. Oh, Mecha Rodan. Yeah, with supersonic speed with the jet intakes in the wings and everything like that. Yeah. Oh, that'd be great. You get from the North Pole to the South Pole in minutes. You know what I mean? That <laughs> I want Mecha Rodan. <laughs> you know? As much as I love the, the other monsters and everything, I think uh, Mecha Rodan would be fantastic. Who knows? Maybe we'll get it. You know what I mean? The, who knows? But uh, yeah. That's definitely, true. Definitely yeah. Rodan. Definitely Mecha Rodan. Rodan will be in the next legendary Godzilla film. And I'm, I'm excited. I love Rodan. He like so. this really sleek jet, you know what I mean? He, oh, yeah. He even have like a morphing ability when he turns into the flying mode, a supersonic mode or something like that. You know, that would be really cool. That'd be fun. That'd be fun. Oh, sign me up. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Final card. Here we go. What one black and white monster movie would you like to see colorized? I don't know if I've ever seen a colorized version of the 54 Godzilla. Has it ever been colorized? I don't know. I don't think so. The Raymond Burr version, the American version might have been, but I don't know if the original Japanese ever was. As long as the original black and white is available and I can watch it when I want to, I don't mind colorized versions of films. But I think I'd have to go with Godzilla 54 because I don't think that's ever been done. And I think I might like to see that as long as the black and white is still available. But sure. uh, yeah, I think I got to just off the top of my head. I think that's the one I got to go with. I'm a big Godzilla fan. So I think that's the one. Yeah, I think that's the one I'd want to see. I don't think that's ever been done. I think didn't it have a release in Italy with some other things done to it, like a color filter, color yes, shading added it, to it. But that but that's about it. I don't yeah, think it's ever been colorized. It's not. It's kind of like in um, is it Red Planet Mars or um, Angry Red Planet? Where they use that red filter type. I think they did something like that. You know, I don't think they colorized it. Right, right. And I believe it was, I don't know if it was the original Japanese either. It might have been the Raymond Burr version. I've heard, I'm not sure about that. Yeah, I've never seen it. So I, I don't, don't think it's ever been colorized. Interesting. And that's one of the things that I do appreciate about the Harryhausen release is that whoever's doing it, they will colorize the films. And Harryhausen was involved in a lot of that. Yes, it was. But you yeah. still can get the black and white yeah. version of the film. So you can see it both ways. Yeah, I know there's a box set out there with a couple of the films on it that were cut. I think it comes colorized and black. I haven't gotten it. I wouldn't mind seeing some of those. I think I've seen it came from Beneath the Sea. I think I've seen that colorized, but I don't think I've seen the other. I think 20 million, I think that one's 20 miles to earth or 20 million years to earth, whatever it's called, is one of them that was colorized. And gosh, I think 
Beast from Twenty Thousand Fathoms was colorized too, but I haven't seen those two. I've seen one or two of them. I just I can't I can't keep it straight. So <laughs> yeah, and, I, uh, and I, I I never bought that box set. So because I already had them, right? And I just recently bought a couple. I, there was a bunch of them just came out on Blu-ray about a year ago, and I just finally picked that up. God, I love Harry Hells man. I love his stuff. <laughs> it's gorgeous work and we certainly could have used some of that in the movie we're going to talk about today but but i'm getting out of myself uh the classic five how do you feel about playing the classic five did you survive yes i did i was looking forward to i'll tell you the one question i wanted was what classic movie prop would you like to own you know what it's my show let's make it the classic <laughs> six joe what's your answer i want the head from mechanic kong from oh, escapes. yes yes <laughs> king kong that. escapes is one of my all-time favorites i love that film it is my so much toho movie the fantastic duel of the century the most ferocious battle in history the flesh and blood king kong fights his most incredible enemy a 60-foot robot king kong forged of super steel king kong escapes all new all thrilling in technicolor king kong battles missiles monsters and a king kong of steel king kong escapes a Toho Company limited picture, a universal release. I mean, can you imagine that having that in the corner on a shelf in your in the room that you podcast in? I mean, think about oh. it, you know what I mean? I would love to have that thing. I would love to have it. But. Have it in the corner, man. I'd figure out a way to be wearing it while I was podcasting. <laughs> yeah. Come on now. Take the microphone in it. Yeah. That, I, I, you know, it's a shame that stuff didn't survive because that's my favorite Toho movie of all time. Even within the Godzilla films, that's still my favorite. I love that movie so much. Actually, one of the cards in the deck that I'm retiring for when I actually to have these printed up is do you like Rhodes Reason versus Rex Reason because of Rhodes being is it Rhodes or Rex in King Kong Escapes? Uh, I think it's well, one of them. Yeah, I mean, oh, yeah, Rex and then the Rex, yeah, right, and, and uh, the creature walks among us. And right. every time I ask people that, they're like, "Who's Rhodes Reason?" Because right. people don't know, you know, because he only did a couple of genre things. He did a lot more television, right? But I love Rhodes Reason and King Kong Escapes, and they're very similar looking. They're brothers. They're very, yeah. very similar yeah. looking. You know, did they ever do anything together? I wonder. I, I don't that think so. cool to see. I don't think so. And I've hmm. seen Rhodes in Star Trek, too. He did a, an episode of Star Trek. and uh, Oh, that's right. Te- yeah, but was it Bread and Circuses, I think? I think so. And then he did a um, lot of television stuff. And I saw him in Time Tunnel, too. He's, he was in Time Tunnel. I want to say he was in Lost in Space, but I'm not sure. But that's where I know him from, King Kong Escapes. So like yes, I always like him in that movie, and I love that film so much. So, yeah, like, yes, I'm so, it doesn't get enough appreciation, I feel it like. It doesn't get enough attention, doesn't. so... <laughs> Right on. Well, that was the classic six. How do you feel? <laughs> I feel great. I feel. I, I like I said. I was so looking forward to playing that. Right on. Well, you know, like I said, I've got a deck in the works that's actually been printed up. So next time we have you on, and I suspect we probably will, uh, we'll play again because we'll have new cards, new questions, some old ones, and just kind of mix it up a little bit. I'm in. Cool? I'm there. I'm in. Right on. So I, I kind of alluded to it a second ago mm-hmm. that we have a movie that we're talking about that has something that could have used some Harryhausen effects. It's not to say the movie doesn't deliver, though. I actually really enjoyed The Land Unknown from 1957. In 1947, the Bird Expedition to the South Pole reported a warm water oasis deep inside the icy Antarctic. This is the story of another expedition and of what might be found... What might happen today in that remote, unexplored last frontier on Earth? Unchanged since prehistoric times, the land unknown. Could man have survived in the dinosaur age of mighty monsters? (laughs) 
shudder at history's most ferocious killer, Tyrannosaurus Rex. The battle of the great Stegosauri. Huge carnivorous man-eating plants. The incredible water monster, Elasmosaurus. We'll never get out of here, Alan. Never, never, never. Stop it, do you hear me? Stop it. This doesn't sound like you. We're not licked yet. That's how I rule. Where's the wreck? Talk. You're gonna rot here. I was getting this uh, confused with another film. Uh, when I first, I had seen it, I'd probably forgotten about it, but I thought it was a movie from 1948 called Unknown Island. Yeah. And I'm watching, I think Sven ran it a while ago, and I saw the commercial, and I'm like, wait a minute, that doesn't look like the film that I thought it was. And I went back and looked at it, I said, this is not the film I thought it was. And as I'm watching, I get about three quarters of the way through, I think, okay, I think I've seen this when I was a kid. But I was very excited. It was like seeing it for the first time. And this is only maybe a couple months back. Mm-hmm. And I love it when that happened. When so I find something that I hadn't seen or thought I saw. And this was a real big surprise for me. That I thought it was another film. Which was, Unknown Island is not very, it's, it's okay. You know what I mean? It's all right. But sure. this one's leaps and bounds better. But I'm watching the commercial. I'm like, wait, that's not it. You know what I mean? That's not the film I was looking at. And, and I actually had a copy of it. It's in a box set that I had. And I, went and I dug that out and I watched it. I think I wrote you about it. And I was like, I, I can't believe I missed this one. I, I was concerned actually, because after you wrote me, it's like, wait a minute, am I watching the right movie? <laughs> yeah, I, I was real. I, I was real. Uh, I was probably overexcited. But I mean, I was like, wow, I, I cannot believe I missed this one or just forgot about it. I probably saw it when I was a kid and forgot about it. But I was a real pleasure to sit down and watch it i think i've watched it three three or four times in the last couple of months because i really liked it it is really good it's a neat little adventure movie and it's from universal i mean you know we mentioned universal earlier during the classic five there's just something about the universal productions even as late as 1957 that just kind of encapsulates whatever genre they're playing and whether it's a horror movie or a science fiction film or both Mm -hmm. it's just a universal movie it's got that vibe through and through and I, I loved it. I yeah. really enjoyed watching it for this as well. I was reading up on it, and it it said it was a B movie, but honest to God, I, and like a low budget, I don't think it shows that much. A couple of spots no. here and there. But to me, this was a pretty decent production value going on in this movie. I was really surprised that some – I could have used some more dinosaurs too, but I mean, you know – well, that, you can say that about every movie. Though, yeah, right? it could have, but uh, <laughs> they really, they really got every nickel they could have out of that T Rex suit, man. They really did. Because <laughs> I was, like the T Rex suit I do too. too. I do too. I love the T Rex suit. I love the cast. I thought the cast was really good in it, and they must have gotten a real helicopter for some of these shots because it does not look like a mock up. You know, like when they're in the the cockpit and stuff like that. It. Mm-hmm. This must have been a real helicopter, real Navy helicopter. They got. I don't know where they got it from, but. There's not a lot – I was doing research. There's not a lot out there on some of these films, and this is one of them. And I couldn't find a heck of a lot on the production. Mm-hmm. Like I said, if this is a B-movie, a low-budget production, I don't think it shows for the most part. I really don't. I think this was put together really well. I was reading about it as well, and there is talk about it being a B-movie. And at first, Universal was going to throw a lot more money on it, and Jack Arnold was going to be the director. And he walked away when they cut the budget. But – I think overall, it doesn't show like it lost the budget. I think for what it is, 
it really holds up and feels like another Lost World film. And, and I love the Lost World yeah, subgenre. And I think I think it's an excellent entry into that. It does have a couple of holdovers from Jack Arnold. There is the mini science lesson right in the middle of it about what yeah. uh, what era we're in and that sort of thing, which is what Jack Arnold used to do, which is fine. I mean, it's just his thing. But it still stands alone as its own thing, and I really appreciate it. As far as the helicopter goes, I mean, they had to match it to some stock footage that they had, but right. I, I think it is a legit it's, – it's a real helicopter they used. Yeah, it is. I think so. Because even some of that footage they used was, I believe, from the Admiral Byrd expedition. They used yes. actual footage. Mm-hmm. They used it in the beginning there, and then they use it at the end because it, the helicopter crashes before it lands right next to the ship. And right. I'm pretty sure that's right from the bird. Ex- I remember reading about that in like high school and I'm pretty sure that's stuff from the bird, ex- which is great that they were able to use that. Like I said, I, I think like you were saying, I don't think the budget constraints really show. I, I don't think so. Some of the, some of the, um, when they were superimposing the shots with another a little bit there, it's a little rough around the edges, but, and there's a couple of shots in there. You could tell where they matted out maybe something on the set or something like that when in the finished prop. But for the most part, the effects are, are for 1957. Hey, I'll take them. I think they look great. Yeah, for its era, it, it holds up. I mean, yeah, to somebody who's watching it in 2017 right. on DVD on their high def screen, mm-hmm. yeah, there's some model work here, or mats or something. Mm-hmm. But overall, it I think holds up really well. And it, I'm checking here according to ClassicSciFi.blogspot.com, it was a legitimate. It was a real helicopter they used. Oh, okay. And now at this point, this helicopter was no longer in use they were able to get their hands on you know one relatively inexpensively i believe mm-hmm. but yeah it's a legitimate helicopter and that footage that they show at the end that is one of the birds helicopters one of the birds expeditions helicopters being ditched in the ocean right so that that's actually that's history right yeah and they show a lot of that stuff in the beginning of the film mm-hmm. like when the the that commander is showing the um the, the footage of the bird expedition. They say it's the bird expedition. I think the reason they do that is so they don't have to show it during the movie because of the budgetary constraints. So a lot of the stuff when they were actually on the ships is on a set, but there's a couple of, of uh, stock footage shots in there, but you know, not that many. So he sets all that stuff up in the beginning. So I, I'm guessing, so they don't have to show too much of it when we actually get into the movie. And it's funny, you know, I was watching this last night or was it the night before? Anyway, I was watching it and it was funny. This movie's telegraphed, especially for for guys like us that have seen this kind of stuff before, because he sets all this stuff up in the first five minutes. He's talking about this expedition and everything. And then the actress walks in. uh, Is it uh, Shirley Patterson? She walks in. Right then and there, I knew where this movie was going. (laughs) You know exactly where this movie is going. And then about a minute after that, she's sitting with the other two uh, actors. And I could tell where exactly it was going. Like Obviously, I knew. But if somebody who's familiar with this stuff... You could figure that out in the first five minutes of the movie where it's going, you know, and that's great. I, I think that's great. You know, I love her entrance into the movie as well. When she opens the door, they're all facing forward, watching the stock footage film, watching this bird expedition material. And as soon as she walks in, every man in the room turns and stares at her. I know. I know. <laughs> I mean, it's so 50s, right? He's got that great line, I always like to meet men. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> a great line, you know? And it's, uh, the actress says Shirley Patterson, or is it Sean Smith? Whatever you want to... And she was billed as Sean Smith in It a year later, so... Yeah, um, so she started using the name Sean Smith during the last part of her career. Not entirely sure why. So if any listeners know anything about Shirley Patterson's history... She just started using that name for other things. And I don't know if it was a genre thing that she was kind of changing her brand. I don't know. Yeah. And she didn't do a heck of a lot of stuff. She did mm-hmm. decent career. It, the terror from beyond space. She did a Batman serial in 43, but she didn't do a ton of work. 
but she's good in this. She's good in this. She broke her leg, uh, I believe, skiing mm-hmm. in '58 and in multiple places. Oh wow! Which pretty much ended her acting career at oh, that point. So I didn't know that. Oh, okay, no, that's too bad. Because she was really, like I said, I liked her in this. I liked her, and mm-hmm. I liked her in it, the Terror from Beyond Space. So it's a shame she didn't do more work. She was good. She was good. She's really good. And the character itself, it's an interesting character because it is the 50s. It's a science fiction movie from the 50s. So, of course, you've got she faints you mm-hmm. know, and she screams and she runs. But she still has other moments. She's captured. She's <laughs> captured and she has to be rescued. Right. But she even assists in her rescue by distracting the guy mm-hmm. so that the other people can come in. So, while she's playing this stereotypical woman type character, she also balances that with... I mean, she's a successful reporter and even the last sequence, she makes it clear what she wants and she's going to get it. Right. You know, not to telegraph or go too far ahead, but she pretty much says we're getting married and having a kid. Right, right, right. And and that's, that's her deal. That's what she's decided. And that's how it's going to be. It's interesting to see this mix of strong female character, but still some of the old stereotypes. So I, I really like that. I, I think it portrayal. worked well. I think it worked yeah, very well. Yeah, it's a I nice balance. Well. Like I said, I like the rest of the cast. I thought Jack Mahoney was really good in it, but he did a ton of work too. He was a busy yeah. guy too. I liked him in he, it. But you got to admit though, he stays on task through the whole movie. He's a scientist. He's always <laughs> spewing scientific. He's a little stiff. He's always yeah. spewing all the scientific uh factoids and stuff like that throughout the film. They even call him out on it at one point. Okay, Mr. Scientist, what do you think about yeah, this? And yeah. he stays on task. He stays that way through the whole movie, you know? Yeah. But he's good. <laughs> I, I've seen him before in a couple of Tarzan movies. He had his own TV show for a while. So I was like Jock Mahoney. I, he's a little stiff, but I always I always kind of like I like him in this. I think he's great in this. He did a lot of Western work, which well I guess a lot of them back then did, yeah. but did a lot of Westerns and he looks like the kind of guy who'd be wearing the white hat running into town yeah. and, and just cleaning up the he just has that vibe which again is very stiff like you said very kind of straight and narrow yeah but still good i mean he carries the film just fine He's still good and a lot of people liked him because he he maintained that tall lean physique his entire life he was a big tall guy very lean and he played tarzan mm-hmm. a couple of times so the, a lot of people they used him for heroes a lot he, like i said he was on a tv show for a while a couple of years he played a cowboy so yeah i like him in this i like him a lot i've seen him before and i've always liked him he did the adam west batman he did. He yeah. did. I can't remember the episode. I can see it in my head. I, you know, um, I, I can't remember the episode. I don't remember either, to be honest. Yeah, but, you know, he I did Batman, so yeah, that's cool. Yeah, he did Batman, so you're all right with me. <laughs> yeah, that's right. He did Batman, and, you know, Sean did the Batman. It was right. a nice little Batman connection. Yep. No, Jock's pretty good. He's somebody you can't help but watch and follow. I mean, he's got that natural leader charisma. Mm-hmm. Did like him quite a bit. And one thing that I did appreciate about this movie is – and. I think if this movie was made like in the 70s, you would have a lot more interpersonal conflict. I'm glad I didn't get too deep into that in this film. There's some irritation back and forth. Right. We don't have a lot of that. And I feel like maybe part of it's because of Jock's portrayal as the commander. He's just such a charismatic leader type guy. Right. You can't help but just you know, get along with him. Plus, they wanted to save all that for the dinosaurs because it, <laughs> it's probably a budgetary thing that we don't get a lot of that. You know what I mean? Let's let's show mm-hmm. the action. Let's show the dinosaurs. So, like I said, they got every nickel out of that suit, man. <laughs> they really did. They really did. You got some other people in the cast. Uh, we've got William Reynolds, Douglas Kennedy, and Henry Brandon. And, and Henry Brandon, I found to be fascinating in yeah. this. He's a uh, Doctor Hunter. Yeah, and he that guy started working in 1932. 
And wow. he, I think his last thing he did from what I've seen was something in the two thousands. This guy was busy. And what I remember him from, and I couldn't place it and I couldn't figure it out is he did a Laurel and Hardy movie called babes in Toyland. He played the villain. And I remember seeing that when I was, I haven't seen that film since I was a little kid and he played the villain in that. And that's where I remember him from. I've seen this guy, the beard, the, the eyes, where have I seen him from? Did a little research. That's where I saw him from. He was in a Laurel and Hardy film. It's kind of like a Christmas movie, sort of, kind of. Wow. Okay, plays in like Toyland. He plays like a character called, I think, Barnaby. But I think he's really good in this. I, th- I think he's probably the best one of all of them in this. He's really good in it. Yeah, he's fantastic. The character is interesting. And, oh, man, I just really was drawn to him. He, as an actor, uh, he was in my favorite, one of my favorite John Carpenter films. He was in Assault on Precinct 13. Yes, he was, yeah. Which, which you know, is just classic carpenter uh, oh, yeah. he was a, a small character in the war of the worlds yep so i mean he's in a lot of these things he, I've, he played a couple of cowboys he did some john wayne stuff that sort of thing but i don't think he did a lot of actual genre stuff he was in the buck rogers serial in 39 oh okay okay and he did an episode of night gallery and mm-hmm. he did a few things here and there but i mean he's just a guy who he was a working actor did a lot very, of television very busy guy yeah i think he did an episode of twilight zone i read somewhere too I'm oh did he sh- i didn't okay. write it down so i'm not sure but uh, he did a couple of Tarzan films too in the forties and fifties. Tarzan's a theme in this thing going on. <laughs> they got a theme of Tarzan going on in this. You know, considering where they set the story, I, it makes yeah. sense. I yeah. get it. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but I was fascinated by him and just this guy who's been shipwrecked or not really shipwrecked. I guess his plane or his copter crashed years ago. Which again, I'm going to go back to that website that I mentioned earlier, that classic sci-fi blogspot. It makes a really interesting point that in the film. The guy says he's been there for 10 years. Historically, there was a plane lost in the Bird Expedition in 1946, about 10 years before this movie came out. I don't know if that was intentional, that they were kind of trying to play off the history, or it's just coincidental. Wow, that, that is interesting, yeah. Now, in 46, they were able to save a number of the people on it, but that's a nice little touch. Yeah, yeah, it was a good, that is a good touch. Yeah. I couldn't figure out, though, why he wouldn't want to be rescued, though. Is, is you know, I yeah. guess his mind is just is you know starting to go maybe i don't know but i couldn't figure out why he wouldn't want to be rescued oh yeah i got the parts over here come on you know what i mean yeah we could fix the helicopter you know come on over here. but we wouldn't have a movie if he did i guess i don't know but that's the one thing the only thing i could think of is like his mind was starting to go a little bit he was losing it just a little bit maybe i don't know but that was the one question i had throughout the movie is why wouldn't this guy want to be rescued when they introduce him they do make a point of making him seem a little crazier than mm-hmm. i think he turned out to be yeah i mean just the way he's kind of crazy and you men can go i keep the woman and right, he's yeah. explaining to the woman about how he survived through murder yeah by destroying their eggs but yeah. through you know he's a murder what wait hold on you know no he's just destroying the dinosaur eggs so he has less dinosaurs to have to and contend he, with he claimed the land that was his yeah you don't want anybody else here this is mine I guess after 10 years. Yeah, yeah, I guess I'd do it, yeah. Do yeah. It, for, it wouldn't take 10 years for me to go. <laughs> yeah. It wouldn't take 10 years. Uh, then we got Phil Harvey, and we yeah, he was the other guy in the part of the main cast. The only thing I remember him from was from Monolith Monsters. That's I know he's done other work. I know mm-hmm. he has. It looks like he's done some other universal work, The Deadly Mantis, uh, Monster on the Campus. Monster on the Campus, that's where I saw him before, that's right. But, yeah, he's... Seems to have done more non-genre. Again, I think one of the reasons why this movie works so well for me is that it's filled with people that I haven't seen in every other universal sci-fi film. There's, as much as I love him, there's no John Agar. 
No. So these characters feel different and distinct enough to me mm-hmm. to really get caught up and wrapped up in just the story as opposed to, oh, it's John Agar. Let's see what John Agar does. Yeah. Yeah. Does that make sense? Yeah, it does. It does. I never thought of it like that. That's a really good point. I, they don't show up in these type of films like this too much. And I think that really helps it. I guess they were all contract actors with Universal, I guess. Well, and the director, too. They were all under contract to Universal. So. so For them to mix it up like this and get some other actors. And if you think about it, there's one other guy in the cast I wanted to mention. Did you recognize the radio operator at the very end? Probably not. Nobody would recognize this guy except me. Okay. Who, who is he? It's Bing Russell, Kurt Russell's father. Really? Yeah. It's Bing Russell. He was a bit actor. He didn't have many starring roles. Uh, he had a few. I think he had a couple of film noir films that he did, but he was a, a prolific career. He had a huge career. He was in everything. And that is Kurt Russell's father. Wow. Look it up. I'm sure of that. <laughs> yeah, no. Um, what I find really fast. See, I have a connection to, to being Russell because he ran a sports team here in Portland. That's Baseball, right? Uh, yeah. If you have an opportunity, check out the documentary from 2014, The Battered Bastards of Baseball. It's a fascinating story about this baseball team here in the Portland, Oregon area that Kurt Russell played on and a handful of other people. Uh, the guy who invented Big League Chew was on the team. Uh, <laughs> it's a fascinating documentary. Uh, he ran this team here in the 70s, and it's really really cool so that's awesome to have him there i knew he was a baseball coach i knew that and if you look on uh like for instance wikipedia and there is just a laundry list of stuff this guy was in he did everything you know and i recognized him a couple of months back when i first saw it and i'm thinking that's i'm think i think that's bing russell and of course i was my phone on me look it up sure enough it was him yeah i couldn't i was (laughs) i'm always surprised when he shows up and sometimes it's only for a couple of seconds you know but yeah he, uh, that was Kurt Russell's dad. And I, like I said, I knew he was a baseball coach for like a minor league team, like a double A team or something like mm-hmm. that. Yeah. And I'll have to check that documentary out. Cause, uh, that sounds interesting. It's fascinating. I'd be interested to hear what you think about it. Cause it's, it's yeah. really cool. Uh, it's on Netflix, I believe is where I saw it. Okay. Highly recommended. Um, okay. Yeah, I could go off on that because I'm, I'm not even a big baseball fan, but I just love the documentary. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah. Uh, but wow, that's cool. No, Bing, Bing Russell was, I mean, he was an actor through and through. And the reason he was in the Portland area, he was doing a lot of stage work at the time. Okay. So yeah, he did stage, he did screen. Very neat. Wow. Yeah. Something else about this movie that's a little different is nobody dies. Do you notice that? I was expecting, and I think I had seen pieces of this over the years. This was the first yeah. time watching it from start to finish for me. And I still expected, even though I kind of knew that Hunter was going to die, that Dr. Hunter was going to be left behind and be killed. Yeah, they go and they rescue him, yeah. yeah. I mean, even while I'm watching it, at the end, he's starting to get those shifty eyes again, and he doesn't seem comfortable. It's like, is he going to do something here? Is he going to jump? Is he going to try to... No, they save him too, which is awesome. We usually lose one cast member in these types of movies, and we didn't lose any of them. Right. I thought that was a little different, you know? I, I did too. It was fascinating. Again, this movie kind of stands out. The only thing that I can maybe compare it to would be something like The Mole People, which was also a universal film, also directed by the same guy, also had a Lost World type theme, and somebody did die in that. Somebody did get yes. killed along the way. But this one does stand out for so many different reasons, and I want to talk about those dinosaurs. Okay. <laughs> I love them. Now, I know yeah, me too. they could have been done so much better if they had some stop motion or even a little bit more time and money. But I love them, and the T-Rex blinks. I love that. Yeah. It yeah. blinks. How many times yeah. do you see a monster that 
you know, has this big mask-like head and these big bug eyes, but they never blink. Right. Until somebody comes in later and does some special edition work to it or something, you know, <laughs> or, or they redo the Gorn in Star Trek, you know, but they, yeah. they blink in this and that's mind blown. I mean, they were doing that in the fifties. That's great. Yeah. He's a little, he's a little bit too erect for it, but still they had to have looked at Toho for some of this stuff. They had to, when they were designing this suit, as he's walking, you could see the, the, where the, the guy's knees are and everything in it. And I wish I could have found some, uh, behind the scenes production, either footage or photographs. I couldn't find any to see how they put that suit on the guy, but I think it works just fine. I really like it. And I especially love the way the jaw it must be on a hinge and the guy inside the suit is just like pulling a lever or something. It works great though. You know, it really is. And, and they even threw like, uh, it looks like he's salivating and stuff. His jaws are always dripping and everything. And, oh, and I love I, it. I did too. I, I thought it was really good. And when I think classic fifties dinosaurs, and this was the only dinosaur film to come out in 57. Oh, really? Oh, it's, this film was in very good company that year, but this was really the only dinosaur film. And when I think back of, classic 50s dinosaur flicks that's one of the images in my head the mm. t-rex from land unknown yeah it's terrific it's terrific you know speaking of colorized i wouldn't mind seeing this colorized you know i wonder what color they made the dinosaur probably green i don't know yeah yeah well if they knew they're shooting in black and white it really didn't matter you know well, that, that's true that's true <laughs> you know no, I, I do like the way it looks and i i love i know the jaw is huge the way it comes yeah, down and yeah. it just kind of droops but it still to me was I'd be terrified if I saw it. I mean, yeah, <laughs> if it was yeah. coming at me, I'd, I'd probably do more than turn and try to shoot a gun at it. If it was the same size as me, I'd still run away. Well, you know? this is true. This is true. <laughs> yeah. no, I thought it worked really well. I mean, it did. Yeah. I mean, you can see the limitations, but I mean, the head sure. itself. And there are and rumors. He's in it a lot. Yeah. He's in it. You know, they don't hide it. You know, he's in it a lot, you mm -hmm. know. Mm -hmm. And, and I, did you recognize the roar? Oh, boy. Um, I'd have to go back and, and I, listen. I know you're a new fan of this film. Okay. But you should have recognized the roar. It seems like, to me, anyway, it's the same roar from 76 Kong. You think so? I do. I they, do. They repurposed it for, huh? I don't know. They're, I've always read that. I know way too much about 76 Kong. Uh, they, they, they said that uh, <laughs> Peter Cullen came in and did a lot of the stuff for Kong. Okay. But I don't know, man. This is awful, awful familiar. That roar is awful familiar to me. Huh. You know? I have to go back and listen care. to it. I don't care. It works. It, oh, it, yeah. I'm fine with it. I'm fine with it, you know? I have to go back and listen to it again. Darn. Yeah, I have to I'm watch fine. this movie one more time. <laughs> <laughs> the only downside to that is there's so many other movies that I want to watch, too. Yeah. Yeah, I know. I know. I tried to get to this movie last night, but when I came home, I had a great triple feature last night. My wife and I went to see Spider-Man, then I came home and I watched Creature from the Black Lagoon was on Sunguli, <laughs> and then I watched this again, you know? so Oh, wow. But, uh, yeah, I love the T-Rex. I think the T-Rex is just so classic looking and so perfect, and where they spent money in this movie had to be, a big chunk of it had to be on that suit. Yeah. I would think so, too. That and the, the plesiosaur, too. Yeah. Now, before we get away from the T-Rex, I have read a couple of places that that head did get repurposed in the monsters. Do you know if that's true? Spot. Yeah. Is it Spot? I, I heard that, too. Okay. I heard that, too. And it wasn't in the greatest of shape. That's why whenever they showed Spot, he was underneath the stairs and he's kind of in shadows and stuff like that. Okay. And they throw the fire out and everything. Yeah, I've heard that, too. I've heard, I heard that a while ago. Yeah. Yeah. yeah I, that I makes sense to me. That makes sense to me. I would love to know who designed the suit, who was, you know, I want to know more about, like you said, the, the behind the scenes. Is there anything out there on this film? I would love to find it. Another, another thing to put on the list. <laughs>
Yeah, I don't know who the uh, proper the, the set guy or the uh, the costume guy was. I, I I don't I did not write it down. But well, I mean, Westmore's credited as the makeup guy, which right. N- no disrespect to Westmore and what he was actually capable of doing, but I mean, back in the fifties, he was taking credit for a lot of things. So who knows, you know, how involved he was with the suit, if anything. So yeah, I will see when I see makeup, I would think of like the makeup for the actors and stuff like yeah, that. Yeah, I would think Hunter's beard, you know, or something. Yeah, stuff like that. When I think like special effects or special. Uh, special makeup effects or something like that mm-hmm. then i might think of the guy that did this the suit the, the suit things like that you know but I, I, like i said it's not really it's hard to find stuff on some of these movies you know and that this unfortunately might be one of them you know that, that's the downside to some of these lower budget lesser known universal movies yeah and you, you know universal's probably got something because they, they have a lot but whether or not they put it's it fun out to speculate anyway this is true <laughs> you mentioned the plesiosaur which again i thought everything in this was pretty darn cool i liked the plesiosaur quite a bit <laughs> for 1957 i thought and it looks like they built this thing almost i don't know i can't, i could i was trying to look to see if it was to scale you know i was thinking that too i kept thinking there's no I'm way they made I, that to scale but it looks so yeah, good the way they put the shots together and especially when she's in the boat and the plesiosaur is behind her right i'm looking like, is this thing full scale and, I, and then there's a part where i think hunter gets hit by the the th- it's fin or something like that. Right. And I can, this looks almost to scale, but you know, there's not a shot with them actually both in the scene together. You can't tell it's like uh matted together, superimposed together, you know? So if it's not scale, it's close, maybe half scale, you know? Well, the way it moves, it, it moves with weight. It yeah, moves it nice and slow. And you can do that by over cranking or under cranking the camera or whatever. Mm-hmm. But the way it moves, it does have this sense of reality that it does. this heaviness that you don't get in a lot of these movies sometimes. Yeah. And again, really appreciated it. Really enjoyed it. I, I would like to know more about it. I think that's yeah. going to be the, the through line here. The, man, I sure would like to know more about the production of this film. And I love Hunter throwing the flaming uh, spears into its mouth and everything. <laughs> I, I, it was, he was not afraid of it. You know, he was well, just, yeah. he, he was not afraid of it. You know, and he's throwing those spears into its mouth and it's, uh, yeah, the story is really cool. It's really, really cool. That's another dinosaur that I think of when I think of classic 50s dinosaurs. Totally. I, the pterodactyls in the beginning. You know, we're 16 minutes into this film when we see our first dinosaur. They don't waste time. And it, it was an efficient film. How long does the movie run overall? It's about, it's not even 90 minutes, is it? No, it's not. It's not. It's just barely over like, an hour, 70, yeah. 70, 80 minutes long. Yeah. I think it's like 80. And yeah, and they're 16 minutes in. So there's not a lot of time. And they get us in there and... You could tell the pterodactyls are just stiff. Yeah, which is on but a wire. But that's fine because they're not featured, so uh-huh. that's fine. Yeah, I totally agree. They they spend very little time to get there, despite the fact that we've already had a bunch of stock footage. I mean, they just boom right in there. Right, a lot of setup and stock footage and everything, and then next thing you know, sixteen minutes later, we get our first dinosaur. It hits that. It, I don't know if it hits the helicopter, flies by it, or something. But and I love the 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 screech of the pterodactyl. I love the the, the screeches that that makes. You know, <laughs> they they all sound great. The sound design in this is pretty solid. When he very blows good, the yeah. horn to distract or scare away the the dinosaurs, it sounds cool too. It doesn't sound like for me. When he said, this is what I used to blow to make that sound, right. I was a little surprised because the way the sound sounds, I thought it was going to be something a little bit you know, bigger, more impressive. No, it's just a little horn that he found and just like, oh, yeah. cool. Yeah. Yeah. This, yeah. It, the production, uh, the sound production was very good on this too. I really liked it. Yeah. There's, you know, I don't think there's anything I really, you know, we get the monitor lizard fight. Yeah. Everybody did that. You know, yeah. I, I, there's a weak point in it. That's pro, and that's a brutal fight, man. That's like it's. I'm watching this thing. I was like, "Wow, this they never get away with this today." You know. <laughs> I was actually recording with somebody else the other day about a, another movie that had 
quote-unquote dinosaur fights and they have a couple lizards going at it i'm an animal lover the i mean and and today you know it's totally different we respect animals a little bit differently in hollywood i hope yes so it's a little uncomfortable for me to watch especially when it went on for as long as it did Yes, it and did. It, and yeah. It's very brutal. I mean, it is. Is skin getting ripped off these? I mean, it looks yeah. bad. He bites the one in the neck and everything. Oh, like, yeah, it just. Uh, it's, it's, I don't know. He doesn't drag it away, though, does he? No, he doesn't drag it away. I don't think so, but it, it's pretty rough. I'm the same way. I don't like to see that stuff. Like, I spend a lot of time outside and I'm terrified of snakes. And when I see a snake, as much as I love animals, I hate snakes. I go the other way. My first instinct is not to kill it. You know, it's, right. it's not to kill it. So yeah, something like that. That, but you know what? It's part of this genre. It's part of that time. Right. You know, we got to muscle through it sometimes. You know. Yeah. And, and I'm okay. I'm okay with it once in a while if I have to. I, hey, I didn't do it. You know what I mean? <laughs> I'm not the one that did it. You know. So, but uh, yeah, yeah, I'm not a big fan of that stuff either. But what are you gonna do? Yeah, yeah. I mean, I've been watching a lot of. Uh, the, the silent films of Marion C. Cooper and, and Shotzak and you know, like Chang and Grass and things like that. Mm-hmm. And yeah, there's some stuff in those movies too. But again, this is back in the 20s and 30s. And it's just, you know, it's part of the history and you can't it try is. away. If, if you ignore it, then you're kind of doing a disservice to the history of Hollywood. And yeah, yeah. That said, I did find myself fast forwarding, you know, using the, yeah. the the fast forward a little bit through the the first monitor lizard fight scene because it just went on. Yeah, <laughs> it just went on, yeah, and on, I, and on. It doesn't gross me out, but turns me off is I can't stand when they close up and the the, the tongue comes out of its mouth like like a lizard does. You know, <laughs> that always I I can't eat while I'm watching that stuff. You know, I just <laughs> I don't know. It's just but but like you said, it is part of the history. It's part of that time. I mean, so we do. Unfortunately, if we love these movies, we got to kind of muscle through those shots too sometimes, you know? So yeah. it, it is what it is. It is what it is, right? I do like the, uh, to go back to the T Rex, I was impressed that they used the helicopter blades to fend off the T Rex. Yeah. And you actually see it hit the suit, the T Rex, yeah. and it bleeds a little bit. I'm like, yeah, wow, that's, I know. I, I know you see like the bullet holes in the Gilliman at the Intercreation from the Black Lagoon and things like that, but this seemed particularly brutal. Yeah. That looked like a stop motion shot too. It like kind of did. That was smart though. They get in the thing, start up the blades, yeah. and, and and it was enough to get them to turn around and take off, you know. But uh, yeah, that was that was pretty neat. That was pretty neat. <laughs> I've never seen that before, you know. That was that was neat, or since, you know. Yeah. Like I said, the T Rex is just oh god. Is you know some people <laughs> might look at it, laugh. I look at it and say, boy, that is just great. I just it's just great. You know, another card in the classic five is what do you want an action figure of? I'd I'd take an action figure of that T Rex any day. Yeah, there's a model kit out there. That thing, I want to get it, man. It'd be great. There's a there is a model kit out of the T Rex and the helicopter somewhere, and I I, I got to track one. <laughs> there is, there is. <laughs> right on. You know, the director of this uh, to go back to him, Virgil Vogel. Uh, he was a contract director with Universal. This is only his third feature film. Yeah. They did the mold people the year before, right? Yeah, and then he did one of the mom pot kettle films, and then the land unknown. Yeah, and then he went to television. He did a lot of television. Stuff. A lot, a lot of TV. In '59, he did direct a movie called Invasion of the Animal People, which is something that I do want to talk about here on the show in the future. I've been talking with Mark Maddox about this off and on You're over the years. Talking about Space Station of Lapland or Space Invasion of Lapland? <laughs> yeah, it's a Swedish, Swedish film. American? I, I have yeah, no idea yeah. how he went from Universal to that, but I don't know. <laughs> you know. Mark Maddox brought it up at one point, and someday I'll have him back on to talk about it because this sounds fascinating. It does. It does. But he did a lot of television, like you said, tons of TV, tons of westerns, and his yep. few writing credits are actually a couple of western TV episodes as well. I know he directed a couple of episodes, uh, at least one episode 
episode of one of my favorite shows from the 70s, Six Million Dollar Man. I know he did one of those. Oh, did he really? Yeah, yeah, he did Six Million Dollar Man. Like I said, just a lot of television. You know, yeah. this guy was pretty busy in the in the 60s and 70s with television, it looks like. I would imagine that's consistent, constant work. You don't have to worry about a paycheck. Sure, yeah. I don't, I don't blame him, you know? Yeah. I thought he did a very good job with the direction in this film. And even the mole people, too, you know, it's, he did a very, very good job. But it's a real, I don't know how much, I'm sure he had a lot of input, but this is a real atmospheric looking movie, too, once they get there with the fog and some really good matte paintings and stuff like that. So, yeah, he did a really good job with this. But what he had to work with, I'll say it again, it does not really feel like a B picture. No, not at all. I mean, yeah, there's matte paintings in the back. Sure. Those cliffs that they can't climb. Yeah, that's that's not really there. They're in a set somewhere. But I love the set. I mean, how awesome of a set was it? That's a great set. <laughs> and that fog would lift and it would come back and everything. And, well, you know, when they use fog, that's they, they kind of cover up a lot of stuff, you know. But kind of like in um, Planet of the Vampires, they used a lot of fog in that, too. And they did that with this. But this was really very atmospheric. Mm-hmm. For a movie shot on a set that's supposed to be a lost world, hey, I'll take it. I think it looks really good. I agree. Uh, it doesn't get a lot of appreciation, I feel like, outside of people who really like these kinds of movies, which is a shame. Yeah. I feel like this movie does have a lot to offer. Yeah, again, you know, it's got some of the, the downfalls of this era. Uh, TCM's website, Turner Classic Movies, their review is, is like two sentences long, their brief synopsis. I'm going to read it real quick. On a naval expedition to Antarctica, three men and a reporter, Maggie Hathaway, crash land in a crater 1,000 meters below sea level. There, they encounter steamy tropical forest, dinosaurs, carnivorous plants, and human footprints as Maggie's clothes become more and more abbreviated. That's it. <laughs> That's it. Well, actually, it's 3,000 meters below sea level, isn't it? It's not 1,000. It's, it's 3, pretty 000. darn low, yeah. And there's so much more to it than that, you know, in those couple of sentences. Although, they are kind of right. Her clothes do slowly get smaller and smaller. But then, so do the men. I mean, jocks yeah. are around with that furry vest. Nobody's got any shoes on. Yeah. So, <laughs> I mean, to, to pick on that and say, you know, here's a problem, it happened to everybody in the film. Yeah, it, it did. It just it did. is a thing, you know? And well, you know, they had this beautiful woman, so they were going to, you know what I mean? So if she didn't have a problem with it, you know, but you're right. All of them, it happens to all of them because th- that's how they give you a sense that they've been there. They've been there almost a month, right? It was a, a, close to a month. Yeah. And that's a cool little calendar that he made up too with the sticks. That's, that's perfect. You know, yeah. they kind of pull a stick for each day or whatever he did. Right. Or, or was he pulling sticks or putting sticks? Whatever it was, he was he's using sticks them. to count the days. You know, he's the scientist. He's he's the analytical guy. He's the, he's the guy that's going to boil this down to the scientific equation. And yeah. The scientific equation says we have 30 days and they're going to go. You know, so like I said, he stays on task. Yep. No, and I really appreciated that. Again, there's so a lot in this film for such a short film, for mm-hmm. such a small quote-unquote film in terms of budget. I think it packs one heck of a punch. And I walk away from this movie thinking, you know what? This is probably one of my favorite universal sci-fi flicks from this era. It's definitely one of my favorite dinosaur flicks from the era. Yeah, yeah. I really did like it. Like I said, this movie is in really good company. In 57, we had 20 Million Miles to Earth. We had Colossal, Amazing Colossal Man, oh, wow. Attack of the Crab Maskers. Black Scorpion, Beginning of the End, Monolith Monsters, Incredible Shrinking Man, 
Giant Claw, Deadly Mantis. I mean, all this stuff came. And this was, the, as far as I know, in American releases, I think this was like the only dinosaur movie, you know? You know, this is the year we got, I was a teenage Frankenstein. I was a teenage werewolf. We had all that stuff. Um, mm-hmm. uh, Brain from Planet Oros was that year. So we had a lot of stuff come out that year. And this film is in really good company. It, it really is. I mean, the late 50s, from 55 to 60, there is just a, a boom of yeah. sci-fi films from Universal, as well as some of the smaller studios. I probably could get you started on the kaiju films from that era. Oh, I know. You I know. didn't even look there. I didn't even go there. I, <laughs> I was just looking at American films, you know? Right. I didn't even go there. Yeah. I mean, we're, we're solid in sci-fi horror land until Hammer starts doing their gothic horrors and it all kind of goes back to horror again. But it's still really, I mean, just an incredible area to, to cherry pick from. I could do nothing but movies from this era on Monster Kid Radio for years on end. I could do a year just on the films that I just mentioned. You know what I mean? <laughs> I was surprised to see some of the Ameri- some of the American releases anyway that came out that same year. Yeah. You know, I wonder if this movie was a success if it made money. I didn't look at the box office on this. You know, and that's another problem with a lot of these movies is it's really hard to go back and see what the box office was because if nobody really cared to you know note that. Right. I- I'm on the IMDb page now, and not that I want to turn this into the IMDb podcast. Uh, I don't know. Do they even have a box office on here? I don't know if they do. I don't see anything. It says reception. 5.9 to 10. I don't know, whatever that means. Yeah. 22% on Rotten Tomatoes. That's not fair. No, it's not. No, not at all. You know, that's not fair. No, nope. that's not fair. But yeah, this is, if you haven't seen this one, this is a good one, man, if you like this stuff. And and like I said, it, I got it confused with a, 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 another, I think it maybe it gets mixed up. I don't know. I, I don't know how regarded this film is in the fan circles. I, I don't know offhand, you know, but I got to imagine it's got to be held in some high regard because this is, this was really good. It really is. And listeners, if you aren't familiar with this film or, or you haven't seen it or you've walked away from it thinking, you know, yeah, that dinosaur suit just takes me out. Well, first of all, you're wrong. But second of all, yeah. <laughs> not really, whatever. If you don't like it, that's fine. But there's so much more in this movie to enjoy. If nothing else, you've got these cool characters to hang out with for about an yeah. hour or so. The script is pretty good. I really like the script. Laszlo Garag, if I'm pronouncing that right, was the screenwriter on this. He also wrote The Mole People and wrote one right. of my favorite Burt I. Gordon films, The Giant Spider, or not The Giant Spider, that's Christopher R.M. The Spider, yeah. <laughs> or spider, Earth yeah. versus the Spider, where the, the spider. dead spider is resurrected through the power of rock and roll, you know? <laughs> it's <the power> of <laughs> yeah. Which I, I adore that film, and yeah, he did some other non-genre work, sure, but if nothing else, you've got a cool script with some cool characters and you get to see some creative use of using stock footage. We were talking earlier about the helicopter being downed in the ocean and they're pulling the survivors out in real life in history. They intentionally downed that helicopter. So, you know, just the way they use the stock footage and incorporate it into the story is probably one of the smartest uses of stock footage I've seen. What I liked about uh, is uh, they showed us all this stuff so they didn't have to show us they all didn't this have to stuff. Show it all again. Yeah. yeah, you know what I mean? When we were finally going on the expedition. And then to see it show up again at the end like that was really clever the way they did that helicopter crash. That It added just another jolt of excitement at the end of the movie. Yeah, yeah, I, I agree. It doesn't have a lot of like the Cold War stuff that a lot of 50s sci-fi had. It, yeah, I didn't get any of that it did, from this. It yeah. didn't have it. It didn't need it. I mean, there's a little bit of talk about maybe there's uranium up there or down there, but. Yeah, right. th- that's about it. There's really nothing there, which is fine. You don't need that in every sci-fi film from the 50s and 60s. No, you don't. Uh, you know, it's just a a lost world adventure. It's the land unknown. Go there. And we had a good, we had a very good producer on this one too. You know, uh, William Allen. You know, who again, listeners of the show know that I adore Creature from the Black Lagoon, and he was involved in that. 
Right. You know what I found out about William Allard just this morning before we sat down is uh, if you've ever seen Citizen Kane, there's the one reporter in it that's trying to find out what Rosebud is. Yeah. I don't think they ever really show him. He's in shadow. He's off to the left or to the right or, you know, behind the camera. That's William Allard. Yeah. I didn't know that. Yeah, I stumbled across that a while back. I, I do a segment on Christopher R. Mims, his audio podcast, the one that he produces, not the Bonfire podcast that the other guys do. Uh, I do a segment on there called The Creature Connection, where I get challenged to connect various movies to Creature from the Black Lagoon, Kevin Bacon style. Oh, yeah, yeah, and, yeah. Okay. And I used William Allen as a connector for something. I think I was trying to connect Ship of Monsters, that Mexican monster movie, to right. Creature, right. and somehow William Allen came up in that. <laughs> I don't know how. That's I don't good, remember man. how. That's good. <laughs> but uh, I was able to connect uh, that because he was involved in Creature as well. But no, right. he worked with uh, Orson Welles at the Mercury Theater, and he was in Citizen Kane. Yeah, and a very proficient producer. Too. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Again, it's just another reason to like this movie, man. A lot of sci-fi and a lot of Westerns and a lot of work at yeah. Universal in the 50s. Mm-hmm. I mean, I'm looking at his list right now. Colossus of New York, Space right. Children, Land Unknown, Deadly Mantis, Mole People, Creature Walks Among Us, Tarantula, This Island Earth. I mean, I could go on. Creature from the Black Lagoon, of course. Solid stuff. Yeah. You know, and you know this is a universal movie, too, because as soon as the movie starts, it's got that familiar universal vibe with the music. Yeah, yeah. You know, it's it's kind of a joke in some circles that every 50s sci-fi movie from the Universal era has the creature from the Black Lagoon stinger. I didn't have it in this per se, but the music still felt very familiar because a lot of it was stock footage or right. not stock music. It was stock music they'd already used. Mancini, Hans J. Salter, Herman Stein, you know, the the comfortable, familiar names of right. music from this genre. But they're not era. credited in it though, are they? Are they no, they're, they're not. You get like a music uh, coordinator. Or production yeah, or that's it. Gershashan Gr- uh, or something like that? his name was who's also a composer himself right uh, i think some of his music actually turns up in creature walks among us i believe mm-hmm. i i love the the beginning like you said the universal logo comes we have that booming score and everything and then it gets quiet as the credits are rolling yes. that was pretty neat yeah it gets ro- it's quiet and then i mean i would imagine hanging out in antarctica <laughs> yeah yeah <laughs> it would be quiet yeah so it it works you know it's just about everything works in this film for a movie that has such a low budget, we have yeah. Antarctica, we've got the hot jungle, we've got dinosaurs, you've got helicopters, one of which gets destroyed. Uh, you've got all this great stuff in here. A you've, man-eating plant. A man, we haven't even talked about that man-eating, man-eating plant. plant. You know, <laughs> I had forgotten about the man-eating plant until the end of the film. First, we have it at the very beginning. I'm right. like, oh, that's that's really cool, actually. Yeah. And then the movie goes on, and then I kind of forgot about the man-eating plant until it turns up again at the end. You're like, oh, no, the man-eating plant yeah. again, you know? Uh, I that wonder was, if that's based on anything. I don't know if it is or not. I have no idea. I have no idea. <laughs> no no clue. Uh, but the man-eating plant looked great. And it did. I don't know what they made it out of or who was involved in making that thing. But the shots from behind her when the man-eating plant is in the foreground and you're just right. have the camera like right above it and you, you can't see the whole thing ever. But when you're looking down on it a little bit, the inside of it kind of contracting a little bit, man, it looked organic and, and threatening. With the vines moving, you know, you could tell this was manipulated with wires, but you're not seeing that. You're only seeing like the bases of the vines move around her. I right. thought that was really clever too, the way they shot that. Yeah. Very well done. Again, yeah. this movie has a lot going for it. It's It's scary. So. You know, but it's also a fun sci-fi lost world type film. And those movies are great. You want a black and white sci-fi popcorn flick? This is the one to pop in. Hey, there you go. There you go. It's uh, 78 minutes according to the internet. So uh, it's not a big investment of time. Uh, It's not. You know, long enough for you to get through a bowl of popcorn. 
That's right. Yep. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I've become a big fan of this movie. I like it a lot. I like it a lot. I'll, be, I'll admit, a lot of it has to do with thinking I've seen it and then kind of rediscovering it. And I love when that I love when I rediscover stuff that I may have seen when I was a little kid and forgotten about or a teenager and I forgot about. And then, wait a minute, that's not the film. And then I actually have a copy of it. You know, what's happened in this case, wait a minute, this is not that film. And I was like, oh, this, this is this is good. This is and as I'm watching, I'm starting to remember things, you know. But yeah, I love it when I rediscover stuff. You know, for me, it, this happens a lot on the show where I will have seen bits and pieces of movies over the years, either in compilations or I was looking for something in particular, but never really sat down to watch a movie from start to finish, which is a decidedly different or definitively different experience right. when, it, when it comes to watching and absorbing movies. So to sit down and watch this from start to finish and seeing the bits that I've seen over the years and putting them in the right order and seeing the context in which these scenes take place. It's a lot of fun and it it, it's really, you know, and again, that's why we do this, Derek. That's why we do this, that's, right? <laughs> you know, really, that's what it is. When people ask me, why do I podcast? And I still get that question every once in a while from people who don't know me or don't listen to the show. I get to discuss movies that I just rediscover or, or love with people who are also just now discovering the movies or rediscovering these movies. And that, that's really the community and, and the the seeds of these communities you know, that right. we've created, that you've created with your podcast that I've created here. You know, we find these movies that we end up loving <laughs> for the first time or, or, or rediscovering them right. and talking right. about them. And I, and I just love it. Yeah, I actually have this in my collection as well and didn't realize it until you brought it up. Uh, it's been put in a couple of box sets over the years. It has. The one I have is like classic sci-fi. I know the mole people is in there. Deadly Mantis is in there. Mm -hmm. Cult of the Cobra. So it's hard Dr. to. Dr. Cyclops. Yeah, yeah. It's in there. It's easy to see how this movie can get overlooked when you compare yeah. it or put it in a set with Tarantula and Deadly Mantis. I mean, these are right. the big heavy hitters. Mm -hmm. I think Land Unknown deserves that kind of heavy hitter status. I mean, it really is the only thing that would maybe bring it more attention is if it had a John Agar or if Jack Arnold directed, but right. you know, I love John Agar. Please don't take away my John Agar fan club card, but this movie didn't right. need John Agar. No, it didn't. It's a tight, brisk, perfect little popcorn movie, you know, and I, I, I that's what I appreciate it for. And, uh, I'd love to see a Blu-ray release with some extra features, oh, man. But I mean, the movie was in Cinescope, Cinemascope, so it's, it was, it's it was, wide, yeah. it's big, it's, it it's, looks, oh. My copy was in wide, yeah, my copy was widescreen. I would love to see a nice restore, you know, play it on my HDTV and really get into it, but. With a couple of Film Scholar commentaries, I mean, I would, I'm a big commentary guy, because I, I yeah. tend to learn, this could use one, there's so many films out there that could use some a treatment like that, you know, and uh, I'd be going on some of the sites like eBay or, or Amazon, I buy a lot on Amazon, and they just don't give us you know what I mean? Is there what are, what are the extra features and stuff like that? And they just don't give it to us. And uh, mm -hmm. I, I'm afraid to buy them because I you know I already have it. I don't want to buy it on uh, Blu-ray unless there's like a bunch of extra features. This could really use a Blu-ray treatment. I don't think there's any plans for one, but I wouldn't it's imagine it would be. I'd love to see it on Blu-ray. I just bought. I just got Gorgo on Blu-ray. Now that's a good set. That's a good set. Yeah, it is. Yeah. Heck, we got the Manster coming out on Blu-ray next month. You know, <laughs> <laughs> you know if you anybody's going to put this out, it's going to be somebody like Kino, who's been really deep diving into the... the or Shout Factory. Yeah, yeah. Or, yeah. Well, Shout Factory, I mean, they do a pretty good job. I, but the stuff that Shout Factory puts out, I think, oh, yeah, of course they're putting that out. When it comes to somebody like Kino, I'm like, why are they putting out GOG? You know, <laughs> I would Which not... I <laughs> so did I. But, you know, I guess I just wouldn't think Kino 
dog. Yeah. You know, it just doesn't work. But you know what? I love what they're doing. I'm glad they're doing it because uh, sometimes these movies need that attention. I didn't think we'd ever see that. You know what I mean? Which one was it? Oh, yeah. Yeah. I didn't think they ever put that one out, but I was happy to get that. Mm -hmm. And they Mm -hmm. put out the original 3D with the glasses and everything. It was really cool. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Now, that one I haven't picked up yet, but it's on my wish list. I would love to get my hands on that. So somebody, if somebody can get the rights away from Universal, put this out on Blu-ray, please, because you know I'll buy it. You got two customers right here. There you go. That's that's probably how much it would cost to buy the rights, right? Right. (laughs) So The Land of the Known, you can get your hands on it now. I think it's part of uh, Universal's uh, Manufacture on Demand Mm -hmm. set, so you can get your hands on it by itself. I don't know if that box set's still in production. I think it might have been a Best Buy exclusive now that I I think about it. I actually got mine at... um uh, borders, I think back in the, I had to order, oh, okay. I actually had to order it, but, uh, okay. I think it's like, I want to say there's three, six, like maybe nine films or 12 films on the collection or something like that. And okay. it's a good box set. It's excellent. It comes in a okay. nice slip case and everything. It's really nice. Well, if you can get your hands on it, I think it's definitely picking up by itself, but if you can get it with a pack, even better. Yeah. Oh, definitely by itself. Yeah. It's, it's gotta be nothing to get delivered from Amazon. So Interesting. There is a Blu-ray version of this movie available in Germany. I'm not surprised. <laughs> I don't have a region-free player. I've got okay. one up. I don't have one. I've been saying it for years. I've got to pick. Because I am trying to track down uh, a film called The Terranauts. And yeah. I, I've seen it on Turner Classic once, and I lost the film when I upgraded my equipment. Oh, no. And I never saw the whole thing. And it was a strange, funny, interesting, good film. And... I want to see this film. I want to talk about it. And I don't like to talk about a film unless I usually, usually I try to talk about a film unless people who are listening can easily access it as well, you know, and it's only available in the UK. And I believe it's uh, just a regular DVD, but it's like, what's UK is what, like region three, I think, or something like that. Uh, the UK is region two so, okay. uh, for, for DVD, right. for Blu-ray it's region B. Okay. So. I don't have a region free player and I have got to invest in one. So I know they're not expensive or anything like that, but I just don't have one. I have got to get one someday. I think that's an amicus film, isn't it? It is. It is. Yeah. But it is a strange science fiction film and I really want to see it again. It must have been a TCM screening or something because I remember having it on the DVR at one point. They just, did run it, it. Yeah, they did run it. Yeah, I had a problem with You know, I'll talk to Larry uh, Underwood, Dr. Gangrene. He's a huge Amicus fan. Maybe he's got a lead on it, but I'll talk to him. Yeah, yeah. And, and Turner Classic. Thank God for Turner Classic because last night I got five million years to Earth on my DVR again. Yes. I, <laughs> yeah. I actually got a text from Larry saying, hey, man, you probably already know this, but check out TCM. Yeah. Like, yeah I know. I know. <laughs> I just about replaced all the films that were on there when I had to upgrade my equipment. You know, so I was so glad to get that film last night. I, I would, if you can afford it, if you can find one inexpensively, I would recommend a multi-region Blu-ray player yeah. because Germany – Somebody in Germany, and I don't know which company it is, does have their hands on the distribution rights for a handful of Universal movies. Okay. I've got Revenge of the Creature on Blu-ray from Germany in 3D with the glasses. Uh, Incredible Shrinking Man. A handful of these other movies have turned up in Germany uh, as a blue. Right. And apparently Land Unknown's one of those movies. Now, I'm looking at the list here. It doesn't have anything special on it. No special features. Right. Outside of a, a German trailer, which you could probably find on YouTube. Right. But 
you know, it says it's 1080p. Yeah. So. And I'm guessing since these films were all filmed in English, that there is an obviously English language track on there, you know? Oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's German subtitles optional. Right. So, yeah, I got to invest. I've been saying it for a couple of years now, but I've got to look get into getting one. Well, there you go. That is the land unknown. <laughs> Check it out, listeners. Highly recommended by two podcasters. Yeah. <laughs> Monster Kid Radio gives it its seal of approval, and I'm guessing Fandom Radio Podcast does as well. Absolutely, yeah. I love this film. A Fandom Radio Podcast, you know, I always mention it every time you call in. Can you tell the listeners, what is Fandom Radio Podcast about? In a nutshell, it's dedicated to all the stuff I like to talk about. <laughs> okay. It's mostly <laughs> with the movies, obviously, we talk about films and not just in the genre sometimes. We'll go outside of it. I'm um, looking at a film now that I might talk about that I really liked. And it's not really, it's, it's a thriller, but, and then I'll talk about toys and I'll talk about comic books or TV shows, things like that. It's just it's all the stuff I seem to like to talk about. And, it, which is why, you know, one of the reasons I started it, I started it because I think a lot of times that's why we start podcasts because we like to talk about the things we're interested in. And so that's why I started mine. So I would talk to other podcasters. I would leave messages like I did for you. And uh, I just wanted to talk about some of the stuff that I couldn't find podcasts on, things like that. And I just went in and I knew about half as much as I thought I did. But that's basically what it is. Anything you can think of that would have a fan base if I'm interested in, and I'll try and there's a focus on movies, but I've talked about toys. I'm trying to run through some of the eighties uh, Joe's right now, things like that. And I think I'm going to talk about the uh, Marvel Godzilla comic in an upcoming episode. Cause I just read all the issues of that. Oh, wow. So it's yeah, it's a lot of different things. And I try to get other people on once in a while. I'm trying to work with another guy to get him on once in a while, or there's two other guys I want to get on. It's a scheduling thing. You know what that's like. Yeah. But uh, <laughs> yeah, that's basically all it is. It's just it's just a little podcast that I do that on things that I like to talk about. Sure, sure. Well, check it out, listeners. FandomRadioPodcast.Podbean.com or you check your favorite podcast aggregator and see if you can find it there. It is in iTunes, Stitcher, apparently. So check it out. And Joe, again, thank you so much for all of your support over the years on Monster Kid Radio. Thanks for sending in feedback. Really appreciate the conversations that you helped start over there. Why don't we have you back on the show down the line? Yeah, yeah. I want to get you back over on Fandom Radio Podcast. I want to expose you to a newer film that I think is really good that you might enjoy. So I'm thinking okay. about maybe maybe for the end of the year, I'll, I'll I'll hit you up, see if I can get you back on to talk about a newer film uh, that I think is very well done, and I'd love to get your take on it. All right, yeah, that that's, that sounds good to me. And thank you so much. This is a real pleasure. Like I said. This is like a high point in my podcasting career. <laughs> it really is. You know? I thought having you on mine was a big deal, and it was. To get to come on Oscar Kid Radio, it was a big deal. I had a lot of fun, and it was talked about a really good movie, and uh, it was great. It was well, great. I appreciate that, man. Thank you. And I loved your coverage of Monster Bash, by the way. I loved your coverage of Monster Bash. Oh, there's more coming. <laughs> Big thanks to Joe for being part of the show this week. Again, check him out, fandomradiopodcast.podbean.com or at podcast aggregators everywhere. I appreciate him being on the show. And yeah, I think we'll have him back on down the line. And I'm eager to appear back on Fandom Radio Podcast. Let's just make it happen, Joe. <laughs> Please, we're doing all we can for you. We're trying to bring you back down to normal size. You do think I'm a freak, don't you? But you know, to me, you're the freak. The one who's different. I'm not growing. You're shrinking! <laughs> he started as a normal human being. But now, each day, he doubles in size. Where will it stop? 
The Amazing Colossal Man. Colonel, he's been reported in Las Vegas. Impossible. How can he walk 120 miles in only an hour? Impossible. Not when you're 60 feet tall. The Amazing Colossal Man. C-3PO, Loki, Mace Windu, Dr. Bruce Banner, Captain Rex, Venom, Princess Leia, Jean Grey, Darth Maul, Nick Fury, Grand Moff Tarkin, Captain America, Lando Calrissian, Cyclops. What do all these characters have in common? Well, two of them were played by Samuel L. Jackson. A couple of them were played by Hammer Films veterans Peter Cushing and Christopher Lee. Come on, guys. You know this. Well, of course we do, Jessica. Just like Mickey Mouse and Captain Jack Sparrow, they're all now Disney characters. Hello, I'm Tracy of the Disney Indiana Podcast, and my co-host Scott and I enjoy talking about all aspects of the House of Mouse, and that includes their newest properties, Marvel and LucasArts. We also talk about Disney resorts, the cruise line, theme parks, and whatever else Mickey has to offer. Which includes movies, imagineering, video games, and collectibles. You'll never know what we'll decide to talk about. So check us out at www.disneyindiana.com or do a search for the Disney Indiana Podcast on iTunes. Because now we've got a lot more to talk about. And don't forget about those other quote-unquote Disney characters like, well, Sully. Fozzie Bear. Buzz Lightyear. Link Hogthrob. Doug. Janice. Merida. Pepe. Bruce. Ralph the Dog. Wally. Dr. The Disney Bunsen Indiana Hindu, Podcast. Syndrome, Even after five years, we're still miles away from the nearest Main Street, USA. We're not listed on the map, but you can join us at www.disneyindiana.com. Larry! From the exotic geisha houses of Tokyo to the back alleys of the Ginza Strip comes the terrifying news of a fiendish creature that threatens to destroy all who stand in his way. This is the frightening story of an American reporter in Tokyo who unwittingly became the victim of a shocking scientific experiment that turned him into a horrible mutant, half man, half monster, the Manster. Got away. I think I know where he's going, to Taurus. Follow me. Right. There's panic in the streets as the unheard of terror of a half-man, half-monster runs wild through the city. There he goes. Don't miss The Manster, a genuine thriller in the most frightening sense of the word. So I kind of alluded at the top of the show that finally we have this episode about the land unknown. That's because this was supposed to be last week's episode. I want to say thank you to everybody who contacted me on Facebook and by email about why I had to push things back a little bit. There was still an episode last week, and I got an email from Patricia T., my BFF, my best fiend forever is what she calls herself, which is awesome, by the way. 
This is what she had to say. Derek, I just finished listening to the Trailer Park podcast, and I'm so sorry to hear about your injury. It sounds so painful. I loved all the trailers you put together, and now they are all in one place where we can go back anytime and listen to them over and over. Thank you so much for doing all the work you do while you're in such pain. I can't tell you how much, as well as your zillions of loyal listeners, really appreciate your dedication and commitment to us. This type of podcast was a brilliant idea. It was fun trying to identify what movie each of them came from, but my favorites were the da-da-da from the Creature movie theme, so recognizable. I'm sending you all my positive and healing thoughts for your quick recovery, and I want to thank you again for giving us this very special two-hour, 45-minute podcast. We all love you. You're the best. Patricia, you're BFF, your best fiend forever. I'm glad you liked it. I know that sometimes I get a little crazy with playing trailers on the show. I love them. I adore them. I could listen to these things all day. So I'm glad I can give a little bit of that to you guys and gals, even while I was recovering. Basically what had happened was I tore a muscle in my left hip and it's taking a very, very long time to heal. Uh, I did miss some work and I'm back at work now, but like I said, I'm rocking a cane and I'm getting pretty good at it. I feel like it took me a little while to learn how to walk with a cane, but, but I'm getting better and better at it and I'm feeling better and better as time goes on. But I think I'm going to be using that cane for a long, long time time uh so thank you so much for your uh, positive and healing thoughts patricia and everybody else really thank you again for reaching out to me and i didn't want to let too much time go without an episode i didn't want to just put the show on hold for a week so i put the trailers together the downside is now that everybody's heard pretty much my entire trailer collection or at least all the trailers that i have in the monster kid radio trailer folder on my computer which means any trailers that I'm going to put in the mix that aren't like specifically mentioned or called out or referenced in the episode, I've got to find new ones. i got to keep it fresh. Again, thanks for writing in, Patricia. Really appreciate it. Now, if you also want to be a BFF here at Monster Kid Radio, a best fiend forever, like Patricia, you can email me at monsterkidradio at gmail.com and let me know what you thought of this episode of the podcast or any other episode of the show or just want to talk monsters. I'm always eager to hear from you guys and gals. You can also call and leave a voicemail at 503-479-5657. It's 503-4795-MKR. Call in and I'll put you in a future episode. This information, of course, is available on our website over at monsterkidradio.net, where you can find everything you need to know about the podcast between episodes. And if there's ever a hang-up with the iTunes feed, which there was last week, you can always download the newest episode directly from the website. I think I've got those issues with iTunes worked out. iTunes changed something a little bit behind the scenes. And then my podcast host, Liberated Syndication, also changed a little bit behind the scenes. And, well, just making those changes mesh took a little extra work on my end. But that should all be resolved now. Of course, you can always subscribe to the show directly through the RSS feed. You don't have to go through iTunes. Or you can even go to our Bare Bones website, which is at monsterkidradio.libsyn.com. That's L-I-B-S-Y-N.com. I mention it every week on the show, or pretty much every week. You know we're on Facebook, right? If you're a Facebook user, you can look up Monster Kid Radio. We've got two places on Facebook. We've got a Facebook page and a Facebook group. Now, the group is where the conversations are happening. The page, well, it's pretty much an announcement-style channel where anything that's coming up on the show, I'm going to talk about there as well. Plus, you can send us messages through the Monster Kid Radio Facebook page. I got a message, actually, from John Jay. He sent me a question. Are there Monster Kid Radio t-shirts? If not, there should be. Keep up the great work. I already responded to John by sending him a link to our T Public 
Comic Store. Now, those of you who follow me on Facebook know that I've been having an issue trying to find a good place to have Monster Kid Radio merch available for listeners of the show, specifically t-shirts. The place that I was going through, I was having some trouble with. I am so happy that I followed the advice of a handful of you guys and gals and checked out T Public because T Public has treated me so right. Tpublic.com slash user slash Monster Kid Radio or just search for Monster Kid Radio over there. Again, I'll make sure there's a link in the show notes to this as well. Now, the t-shirts run up to 5X in men's sizes. I don't know about women's sizes. I should double check, but not being a woman, it didn't occur to me to... And, and, well, anyway, there are women's sizes as well, as well as tank tops and hoodies and, and sweatshirts and things like that. Plus, anytime you pick up a t-shirt from them, and it seems like they have sales quite often, I get a buck or two that I can put toward Monster Kid Radio, which is awesome. It's incredibly easy to create designs for them, and I kind of went a little crazy. There are currently 15 designs in the Monster Kid Radio T-Bubble shop, and as of this recording, I actually just got my first order from them last night because I wanted to see what the quality was like before I started promoting it. I, I know a handful of you have already bought the t-shirts and I really appreciate that and, and have come back with awesome reports about them. But I wanted to see for myself and just make sure that it fit me because I'm a bigger guy and I'm happy to say that my t-shirt fit just fine. I really like the printing on it. It's very vibrant. The fabric seems solid. I, I'm impressed. I'm very happy and I've actually been working with them to do a little bit more with TeePublic. So stay tuned for that. Again, link in the show notes. Monster Kid Radio does have a Patreon page. Patreon is a way for you to show your patronage to the podcast by contributing a little bit on a monthly basis to keeping the lights on around here, helping to pay for the URL, helping to pay for the podcast hosting, and a few other things here and there. And I want to let everybody know that I realize I'm a little behind on this. Seems to be a recurring theme, but this time I'm going to blame my hip injury. This is legit. I just didn't have a chance to follow up on this over the past several weeks. However, within the next few weeks, I will be updating the list of contributors to the show over on our website, as well as getting some material out, special podcasts, everything else that you guys and gals deserve have earned for being patrons of Monster Kid Radio. Patreon.com slash Monster Kid Radio is where you can go to find out how you can support the show this way and maybe pick up a cool reward or two along the way. Well, what's coming up next week on the show? Well, Joe mentioned all the coverage that I have from Monster Bash, and I kind of giggled and said there's even more coming. Well, next week, we are going back to the bash. Frank J. Delostrito is an incredible writer. I love his work. I featured him on the show in the past. If you don't have his books on your bookshelf, you are missing out. He's also a regular at Monster Bash and actually won an award at Monster Bash this past year. He was a recipient of the Forey Award, which is kind of the Monster Bash equivalent to the Rondos, I think. I think that's kind of how it works, but it's a heck of a statue and a heck of an honor, and he's a heck of a guy. He's a great friend of Monster Kid Radio, and he did a presentation at last week's Monster Bash about the Bela Lugosi film, The Return of the Vampire. It was fascinating. He got a hold of me beforehand and actually said, hey, you know what? You want to record this for the show? Let's do it. So I set up my recorder at the front of the room while he was doing his presentation, and the recording didn't quite work out the way that I wanted it to. There was an issue with the sound. I told Frank, and without missing a beat, he's like, well, I can just come up to your room and do it again right there for you. Like, oh. Okay, so what you've got coming next week is a recording of Frank's presentation about the return of the vampire done for an audience of one, me, who's then going to share it 
with you guys and gals. So that's coming up next week. It's a really cool presentation. If you haven't seen The Return of the Vampire, you are missing out. In fact, I would recommend that you watch the movie before you come back here and hear what Frank has to say about the film because he makes a lot of really good points. In fact, if you are looking for a couple of other movies to watch between now and then, check out some of the Universal Dracula films as well because he references those too. So that's coming up next week. After that, let's go ahead and set it in stone right now. Or maybe set it in gelatin? Jello? Slime? We're going to set it in something. Because in two weeks, we're going to have George McGowan on the show. He's from the website CollectingClassicMonstrous.com. He was also recently featured in Scary Monsters Magazine and will be writing a recurring feature in Scary Monsters Magazine. And if that's not enough to give him some Monster Kid cred, well, in two weeks, you're going to hear him gush about the blob here on Monster Kid Radio. So that's happening. And then after that, well, who knows? Stay tuned to MonsterKidRadio.net because I'll announce there first what's coming up over the next few months on the show. Again, big thanks to the anonymous henchmen for allowing us to play their song, An Eye for an eye on the podcast. Find them at anonymoushenchmansurf.bandcamp.com. This is a single and you can buy it for a buck. Check it out and then check out their Facebook page for all of their upcoming events. I'll make sure there's links in the show notes. Until next week, remember that Monster Kid Radio is a registered service mark of Monster Kid Radio LLC. All original content of Monster Kid Radio by Monster Kid Radio LLC is licensed under a Creative Commons attribution, non-commercial, no derivatives, 3.0, unported license. Of course, that doesn't apply to the song An Eye for an Eye because that belongs to the aforementioned, the anonymous henchman. Thanks for listening. I'll talk to everybody next week. My name is Derek M. Cook. Ciao. <laughs>